How would you know if a marriage was healthy or not? Think about that question for a moment. Now, I know it's an odd question, especially since this podcast isn't going to be about marriage. But think about that question. Let's say you knew of a couple and you wanted to be able to tell if their marriage was healthy or toxic. Would you be able to? Because there's no grand unified calculus that you can put in different variables like number of years married times the square footage of their house divided by the proximity of their in-laws and then out comes uh, an equation that defines the health of their marriage. You can't do it scientifically. But if you hung out with that couple long enough, would you be able to get a sense? Would you be able to tell whether their marriage was healthy or toxic? I think you would. The question is how? How would you be able to tell? The reason this is important is because in the same way that you could tell whether a marriage is healthy or not just by being around it, well, that leads into something that Jesus talked about 2,000 years ago and is really the driving force behind the Jesus family. We'll come back to that in a moment. But let's not jump ahead of ourselves. This is season one, episode one of the Jesus Family Podcast, where we wanna help you follow Jesus and find family. We like to say that this is for those who wanna follow Jesus, but might have lost faith in the church. So in this very first episode, I wanna to try to answer three basic questions. First, why start the Jesus Family Podcast? Why start a podcast? There's so many out there, why start another one? Secondly, how can you know if today's church is broken? Because that's a foundational premise behind the Jesus family, that today's version of church, today's model of church, or today's church is broken. So how can we actually know that? And third, what's going to make this podcast different? With so many other podcasts out there, what makes this one different? And hopefully, what makes this one worth listening to? So first, why start this podcast? What's driving the Jesus Family podcast? Well, quite simply, it's this. We believe that we've found the answer to a lingering question that many of us have been asking for years or even decades. It is a deep, lingering question. I'm, I'm not talking about a curiosity. A curiosity is how does Chick-fil-A make their waffle fries the way that they do? Or why are so many people addicted to social media? You know, those are curious things that we'd like to have the answer to, but our life's not dependent on whether we know it or not. I'm talking about a deep, lingering question, something that's been at the back of our minds for years or even decades. It, it's if you've ever tried to make sense of something that just doesn't make sense then you know what it means to have a lingering question. It would be like this. A lingering question is, is like you ever since you were born, having this sense that something wasn't quite the way that it seemed. Maybe it was uh, conversations with your parents that ended abruptly or hushed tones when you walked into a room and conversations ending or you having questions about whether, you know, uh, you were loved as much as the other kids 
in your family or why you didn't quite look like your parents or didn't have all the same traits as your siblings and no one ever explained anything. And then as adult, the pieces finally came together. And maybe you learned that you were adopted. And it, it's, it's that sort of lingering question, something that would sit with you for years and years and years. Well, that, that's a lingering question that I've had. And really, it's gone back to high school. My faith really came alive in high school. I was born and raised in the church and thankful for that heritage. And when I was in my last few years of high school, we really began to experience Jesus doing something in our midst. And we brought a whole bunch of our friends, our teenage friends, to church. And we thought it was a great thing. And a whole bunch of them got baptized. And I began to experience this, this disconnect, this church that I loved and this church that loved me. And this church that said that it really wanted to reach people for Jesus. And so here we were bringing a whole bunch of people to Jesus. Well, sometimes our church didn't like the people that we were bringing because they didn't know how to act right. They weren't raised in church. They weren't good church kids. And so these people in our church that loved Jesus and said that they loved others sometimes had a really weird way of showing it. And so our church had a pretty good track record of running off all these people that we were trying to bring to Jesus. And and at that moment, there was this disconnect in my mind. I loved Jesus and I loved my church and I loved the church people, but I was frustrated with how they treated others on the outside. And I thought it was frustrating that my friends were good enough for Jesus, but they weren't good enough for the church. And so at that moment, a lingering question just formed of trying to figure out why. Why there's this disconnect of, of how church people can sometimes act in a way that's not very loving, in a way that doesn't really reflect the love of Jesus. So off I went to a Christian college, and then I actually became a missionary for two years. And I thought, surely, surely missionaries are the very epitome. They're the climax of spirituality. So if anyone would look like Jesus, it would be the missionaries. And I enjoyed my time there for two years. And they're incredibly godly people that I continue to respect and have good relationships with. But I found that a lot of the same petty squabbles and same uh, jealousies and rivalries that plagued the church back in America, it plagued the missionaries as well. And then I came back to the States and I was a youth pastor for 10 years. So my job was to bring teenagers to Jesus. And I tried, you know, through all my faults and failures to bring teenagers to Jesus. And we brought a lot of teenagers into the church. And again, I began to rein in, run into this tension with church folks that sometimes they just didn't like all these kids that I was bringing to church. But I was under the impression that that's what the church was for. So I'm trying to figure out why churches can do such a bad job sometimes of living out the love of Jesus. And then after I was a youth pastor, I was a senior pastor or a lead pastor or just the pastor. And I thought, surely as the guy in charge that I'd be able to help create everything and an environment where everyone who wanted to come and follow Jesus could find Jesus. And again, I ran into the same tendency in church members to say that they wanted to reach others, but in the end, they really just wanted to keep things inward focused. And along the way, to be completely honest, I found some of those tendencies in me as well. I wasn't this perfect lamb walking through ministry for 20 years. I made my share of mistakes. I found myself doing things or acting in ways with motivations that I knew weren't the way that Jesus wanted me to act or to be motivated by. And so this lingering question that's been on my mind and heart really for decades now is why 
Why are so many people walking away from the church? And why is the church so effective sometimes at driving people away? Post-pandemic, people are flocking away from the church at a cataclysmic rate. And we know that we need people. Churches need people to survive because the church is the people. So why do we do such a good job of driving them away? Why are so many people walking away from the church? Why are the majority of kids, statistics will show that the majority of kids raised in church, the majority of them, over half of them, walk away from church and the faith as adults. Whatever they see in the formative years of their life, as adults, they say, I don't want anything to do with that, and they walk away. Or another way to put it is, why is today's church broken? Or why is today's version of church or the model of church Why was the COVID pandemic such a gut punch to the way that we do church? So many churches are down a third or sometimes they're down a half, but it's been years now and people aren't walking back. Why are so many people rejecting the faith of their parents? Why do so many people embrace this idea that churches and politics are absolutely married together? And some people make the church just another political machine. Why are Christians so mean sometimes, even though on the inside I know because I've lived and worked and ministered among them that they're good people? Why is the church so broken? Why is today's version of church or today's church model so broken? That's the lingering question that I've had for decades. And honestly, I couldn't experience it until I experienced the brokenness of the church. You've You can't really appreciate or understand the brokenness of the church until the church breaks you. And that's been my experience. Experience is the most painful but the most effective teacher. And so for many of you, this is not some theoretical exercise that you're just wondering, hmm, I wonder why Christians are so mean. For you, it's a, it's a traumatizing story in your own life or in the life of your family or in the life of someone that you love people that you knew or love or trusted acted in a way that did not live out the love of Jesus in any shape or form. Or maybe you placed your trust in an authority figure in the church and that trust was broken or that tr- trust was abused. So for many of us, it's, it's personal. Why does the church hurt so many people? Why did the church hurt me? That's the lingering question that I've been searching for, the answer to for decades. And the reason we're starting this podcast is because we found it. We believe that we found it. And it's not in some obscure text hidden neatly away in the Old Testament for us to try to bring out and and bring up some new idea. No, no, no. We believe this is an ancient idea that's actually hiding in plain sight in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2. So the reason we're starting this podcast is because we believe we found the answer to a lingering question that not just me, but so many others, I would say even millions of people have been asking in one form or fashion, why is today's church so broken? Now, a good follow-up question is, okay, if we found the answer, why not just put it out there? Why not just tweet it out there and move on? People would like to know. Well, let me explain it like this. Think of a building. The bigger the building, the deeper the foundation has to go. If you want to build a sandcastle, just put it right on top of the sand. No need for a foundation. It's not going to last long, but you can have fun with it. If you're wanting to build a skyscraper, you have to 
build deeper and deeper foundations for as many floors as you want to go up into the sky. It's the reason why you can pull up a weed by the roots, but you cannot pull up an oak tree. The bigger the foundation or the heavier the building or the heavier or the bigger the tree, the deeper the foundation has to go, the deeper the roots have to go into the ground. The answer to this lingering question, why is today's church so broken? It's a big answer. It's a deep answer. It's not one that we can just put out there in 140 characters or less and then move on with our day. This is a, an answer that will challenge you, change you, transform you. It will challenge the assumptions that you had about church maybe your entire life. It did that for me. I was born and raised in the church. If you know me, I'm Mr. Church. And if you know me, I actually like to think outside of the box. And this answer was way outside of the box even for me. It took me months to process it, and I'm still processing it. And it's single-handedly challenged everything that I think I know about the church and how the church operates. So why are we putting this out in a podcast? Why are we putting this out a little bit at a time? Because we have to build a foundation. We have to build a foundation deep enough and weighty enough to hold the weight of the truth of the answer of why today's church is so broken. So that's why we're starting this podcast. The second question, and it's a good question, is how can we actually know that today's church is broken? Because that's a pretty big assertion that we're making. And so how do you know that it's broken? We all have different ways that we can judge that or different ways that we can gauge that. So if it's not broken, why fix it? We have to nail this down. And because this is such a big, such an important question, I don't want you to take my word for it because you might not know me that well. You might not know me at all. So rather than take my word for it that the, today's church is broken, I want you to hear from and I want you to be convinced by the person whose opinion you value the most. And that's you. So let's bring back in that illustration that I used at the very beginning about a marriage. And let's unpack that a little bit. If you had a couple in your life that you were friends with, how would you know if their marriage was healthy or not? Again, there's no universally accepted calculation that you can put in different variables and then out comes uh, the gauge of, their, of the marriage's health. But if you spend enough time with them, and assuming that they had the basics covered, that they had food and shelter and clothing, would you be able to tell whether their marriage was healthy or not? If you, would you be able to get a sense of it? And I think the answer is yes, absolutely. How would you know whether their marriage was healthy or not? It wouldn't be based on things like the square footage of their house. There's some people that have huge houses that are miserable, and there's some people that don't even own a home, but they're incredibly happy. It wouldn't have anything to do with their income level. Again, there are people who are rich, who are miserable, and people who are poor, who are happy. It's not necessarily based on years of marriage, because there are newlyweds that are happy and people who've been married for 30 years that are absolutely broken. It has nothing to do with the number of kids, the education level, where they live. All those things are nice, but that actually wouldn't be what you would use to gauge the health of their marriage. So think about that. How would you be able to tell the health of a person's or couple's marriage? It'd be their fruit. You would just listen to the things that they say. How do they talk with each other? How do they interact with each other? Do they act in a respectful way, in a loving way? Are they happy? 
I mean, just basic things like, are they happy when they're in each other's presence? Is there constant fighting or is there peace in the family? You know, how, and you would look not just at the verbal cues, but the nonverbal cues. How do they look at each other? How, you know, there's just some basic things that even instinctually you would pick up and you spend a week with them and you'd be able to get a pretty good sense of like, this is a, this is a pretty solid marriage or this marriage has some issues. And the crazy thing is, sometimes you would actually even have a better perspective than they themselves. Because when you're in the midst of a marriage, sometimes you lose all perspective. And there's some things that a couple might think, oh, this is normal. And as an outsider, you say, no, 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 this is not normal. Whatever you guys are doing, I know you've been doing it for years. This is toxic. You need a therapist to come in and start fixing some of this stuff. So how would you know a marriage is healthy or not? You would look at how they acted. You would look at the fruit of that marriage. And that actually goes back to something that Jesus said. 2,000 years ago, when he was teaching the people in his earthly ministry, in the most famous sermon he ever preached, known as the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, he warns this group of Israelites that he's teaching about false prophets. He said, hey, there's going to be a lot of different folks with a lot of different ideas about religion, about God, and about how to interact with him. And some of those ideas are going to be good, and some of those ideas are going to be toxic. And he said, here's how you can know since everyone's claiming to know what they're talking about, here's how you can know who's right and who's wrong. He said, check the fruit. So in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, here's what he says. It's an incredible just truth about life. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So he's saying on the, on the outside, they're going to look and act and talk like someone who knows what they're talking about. They're going to look and act and talk like an expert in religion. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. Their motives are bad, and they're going to try to take you sideways real quick. So here's how you recognize them. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Not by the size, back in that day, by the size of their synagogue or the, uh, the size of their audience or how exquisitely they teach their particular brand of theology. He said, no, look at the fruit. It says, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So he uses this illustration of fruit and then checking out people's intentions and people's motives, which makes sense. If you want to know what kind of uh, a tree is out in the orchard, well, you just look at the fruit. I mean, a tree could say it's an orange tree all it wants, but if it produces apples, it's an apple tree. And he's saying if you look at the fruit of people's lives, you can tell what type of person it is. In the same way, that you can check the fruit of a marriage and get a decent sense of whether that marriage is healthy or that marriage is toxic by looking at the fruit. Now, let's bring this over to churches. A little bit later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who was one of the first church fathers, he actually started off persecuting the church because he was absolutely convinced that it, uh, it was against everything he thought he knew about God. And then he personally met Jesus and it 
transformed his life completely. He was writing a group of Christians in the ancient Greek city of Ephesus. We know it in the New Testament as the book of Ephesians. And he correlates our relationship with Jesus and the church's relationship with Jesus with a marriage, which makes sense when you think about it because they're both covenants, a deep-seated commitment between a husband and a wife and between a church and God. See, here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So in the same way that Christ loves the church, husbands are supposed to love wives. There is this direct correlation between marriages and churches. And so you can actually correlate one-to-one because they're both covenants. Instead of between man and a wife with the church, it's between God and the church. So, in the same way that you could tell the health of a marriage by its fruit, you should be able to tell the health of a church by its fruit. And remember, that's the question that we're trying to answer in the second part of this teaching. How do you know that the church is broken? Check the fruit. So, how can you check the fruit of a church? Again, just like you wouldn't check the health of a marriage by checking out the square footage of the house or how many years they've been married or, you know, the number of kids or the education level, a lot of churches will say, no, we're healthy because look at how big our buildings are. Look at how long we've been in the community. Look at how long our pastor has served here. Look at the education level of our pastor. Look how many people are showing up to our services every week. That many people can't be wrong. Or look at how prominently we're displayed in the headlines or how close we are to some major intersection in town. Churches can point to all these different things as an indicator of health. But Jesus said, no, no, if if you really want to know the health of something, check the fruit. Paul would take this idea and he would flesh it out. And we don't have to guess what kind of fruit to look for. So if you want to know whether or not the church is broken, check the fruit. And you don't have to guess what kind of fruit to look for. Because Paul would write that in another letter to another group of churches. This is in the New Testament book of Galatians. It's written to a group of churches in the modern, or in the first century. It was the the first century province of Galatia, the Roman province. And it was a group of churches who came to Christ through Paul's ministry But very quickly, things began to go sideways because there was a strong Jewish uh, community in that area and they wanted to latch on to this idea of Jesus, but they had a really, really hard time of letting go of the old way or the old covenant, the old way that God related to humanity through the nation of Israel, what we know of in our Bibles as the Old Testament. And because that had been their heritage going back generations, it was, it's really hard breaking old habits. And so they try to do both. They try to bring in the Old Covenant with the New Covenant and do a little bit of Judaism and a little bit of Jesus and mash them both both together so they could have the best of both worlds. And in their minds, it was working well, but Paul, he came in and he tried to put the brakes on it as quickly as possible. And he said, guys, this isn't going to work. I know you're trying to follow the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and you think you can do it both well. But he said, no, no, you don't understand. Jesus came to absolutely fulfill and complete the old covenant and then institute a brand new covenant and you cannot follow the old covenant and the new covenant. 
Going back to the marriage illustration, it would be like me spending equal amounts of time with my wife and my ex-girlfriend. Yeah, that's not going to work out too well because I'm in a new covenant with God and my wife. So the old covenant is gone. And Paul's saying, if you try to follow the old covenant and the new covenant, the old covenant where you had to do all these things to keep God happy, and the new covenant where you don't have to do anything except trust in Jesus because he's already done everything for us. He said, guys, I've already gamed this out. Here's what it's going to look like. At the end of Galatians in chapter 5, he says, let me go and just spell out what's going to happen when you try to do both together. The fruit of that, the results of that, he gives us a list. Now, we know the other list. A very famous list at the end of Galatians is the fruit of the Spirit. He talks about fruit. Again, that's what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7. He says, when you follow the new covenant on its own, and you're not trying to do the old covenant and the new covenant, and you're living completely by faith in Jesus, and you're living through his Spirit, the fruit of that, the results of that, here's what's going to happen in your life. In Galatians 5:22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says that's what happens when you live by the Spirit, when you live completely under the new covenant. You're going to have that fruit. You're going to be full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And by the way, that is a great list of fruit to look for, not just in a church, but also in a marriage. I mean, you want a marriage that's full of love and joy and peace. Are they patient with each other? Are they kind to each other? Are they gentle towards each other? Are they loving? Is there joy? That's actually a really good sense of whether a marriage is healthy or not. In the same way, how do you know if a church is healthy or if a church is broken? You look at the fruit. And you don't just have to say, are those fruit present? He gives us another list, a list to contrast it with. And this is the list that not many of us know because it's not as famous. But just immediately prior to the fruit of the Spirit, he gives the fruit of the flesh or what he calls the acts of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, he says the acts of the flesh are obvious. And then he lists those acts. And he says, this is what happens when you try to follow the old covenant and the new covenant together. When you get your theology mixed up and you try to follow God by the old way combined with the new way, you cannot do that because here's what it's going to result in. The acts are the fruit of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So when Paul was trying to explain to these groups of churches, hey, you can't do it both. You can't follow God the old way and the new way. You have to choose. He helps them out by giving them two lists of saying, guys, Believe me, here's what's, here's what's going to result if you follow the old way versus if you follow the new way through Jesus. And those lists are incredibly helpful for us today to try to determine whether today's version of church is broken. Check the fruit. Look at these two lists. 
And if you were honest, if you were an outsider coming in and you spent a week with your church or the churches you've interacted with or the churches that you know or the Christians that you know, which list would better describe today's churches? Now, when you read that list of the acts of the flesh, there's a couple of them that jump out and you think, whoa, we don't do anything crazy like that, like witchcraft and orgies and drunkenness. Well, if you read the news, sometimes that actually is happening in the church. But for the most part, stuff like that isn't happening. So you might automatically think, well, that list can't apply to us. But even if you take those off, look at the other ones. Dissensions, selfish ambition, bitterness, jealousy. And you have to ask yourself, which list describes the church better? The acts of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? Is my church or the churches I've experienced, the churches I'm around or the church down the street, is it characterized better by dissensions and anger and bitterness and selfish ambition and jealousy or love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness? So in the end, I want you to hear from the person you trust the most on whether today's church is broken. And the person you trust the most is you. I don't have to answer that question because I believe you can answer that question yourself. Look at the fruit of the churches around you. And if you would say, no, my church, it is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, then hold on to that church as tightly as you can and don't ever leave it because those churches are rare. For the rest of us who would say, no, honestly, the churches, my experience, is, it's, it's too characterized by dissensions and factions and envy and rivalry and jealousy and selfish ambition. Well, then you have your answer. Today's church, today's version of church, today's model of church is broken. It's unhealthy. You can have a tree that's the tallest one all around it. Maybe it's on the top of the, the tallest hill and it just shines majestically and you can see it from miles away and it can have the biggest trunk and it can have the shiniest leaves. But if its fruit is poisonous, then you've got a poisonous tree. And too often, today's churches are putting out poisonous fruit and it's breaking people. Now with that, some people stop right here and they just write off the whole thing and say, oh, it's all just a scam or all, it's all just, you know, hogwash. But that's the part that has been lingering in my, in my mind for, for decades, in my heart for decades, because I know it's not. I know that Jesus is real and I know that the New Testament is real and the New Covenant is, is how we're supposed to interact with God. I know that the Bible is real and it's true. And I know churches and I know church people, they're filled with good people who genuinely love Jesus. And they want to help people, even if sometimes we have a really bad way of showing it. So why can a church or how can a church be filled with so many good people and still have such bad fruit? I don't think the answer is to blame the person or to blame the Christian. To use another illustration, let's switch over to baseball for a second. You can get mad at someone for striking out. And you can, get mad. you can legitimately get mad. They're in the batter's box. They're the ones striking out. But you also have to look at the context. If you're putting that batter into the batter's box with two strikes already against them, you've given them a broken bat, and the only way you've taught them to swing is with a golf swing, not a baseball swing, 
Sure, they're striking out. But there's some other things that are contributing to that as well. And I believe that's where we are with the church. Yes, the church is in a broken spot. And I believe that today's model and version of church is broken. Yet at the same time, it's filled with good, loving Christians who genuinely love Jesus and want to make a difference in the world. It's the model, it's the system, it's the version that's broken. And how can we tell it's broken? Look at the fruit. Jesus said it in Matthew 7. You want to know the intention of somebody? Look at their fruit. Paul took that and he extrapolated it out and he applied it to the church as well in Galatians chapter 5. So is today's version of church broken? You be the answer to that. I believe it is. And what's exciting is that the Jesus Family Podcast is not just telling you that it's broken. There's enough podcasts out there already saying that. For some people, telling you that the, today's version of church is broken is like walking outside and saying the sky is blue. Okay, thanks. We know that. This podcast is about the answer. It's about the solution. How we can actually fix that. A way forward. A way forward that is so ancient, it's actually new. So, is today's version of church broken? It depends on how you define health and brokenness. You can either look at the size of the building, size of the budget, or the number of butts in the seat. Or you can look at the fruit that the New Testament gives us of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. At the end of the day, the person you trust the most is you, so you be the judge on whether today's version of church is broken or not. The final question we want to answer in today's podcast is, what makes this podcast different? There are so many podcasts out there and so many churches have their own teachings out on Facebook or YouTube or on podcasts. So what makes this podcast different? Well, the first way that this podcast is different is we're going to try to not just tell you what the answer is. We're going to try to help you learn how to solve the problem yourself. What do I mean by that? Well, let's use math as an illustration. Let's say I give you a very complex math problem. Let's say I give you the problem of if 3x minus y equals 12, then what's the value of 8 to the x power divided by 2 to the y power? Okay, that's a really, really complicated math question. And yes, I googled it on difficult SAT math questions. But that's, that's the question. Let's say I gave you this question to try to solve. If 3x minus y equals 12, then what is 8 to the x power divided by 2 to the y power? I'm not a math expert. You're not a math expert. So I, I could tell you what the answer is. The answer is 2 to the 12th power. And you would have to take my word for it, unless you're a genius at math, or you did really, really good on your SAT or ACT. And a lot of times when you get to complex questions, whether it's about math or whether it's about theology, you have to take someone's word for it if you don't understand it yourself. The problem with that is you're going off of their word and you have to trust the person. And on any complex theological question or question about the Bible, you can find someone with an advanced degree that believes anything that you believe. I mean, I can give you a complex issue and I can put doctorates on both sides of it and have them argue it out. And at the end of the day, it's a doctor arguing against a doctor. Who are you going to believe? And I know we have this bias towards education, which is a good thing. You know, that if someone's a doctor, well, then they must know what they're talking about. Well, I can debunk that myth because I am a doctor. I have my doctorate in theology. 
And my wife will be the first one to tell you. I'll tell her myself. Just because you're a doctor, that doesn't mean that you know what you're talking about. It means you might know more than other people, but it may not mean that you know the answer. Maybe you just have better sounding arguments to back up what you've already biasly decided is the truth, whether it is or not. So just because someone's a doctor, that doesn't necessarily mean that they know what they're talking about. And you can trust me on that because I'm a doctor. You see what I did there? Anyways, going back to that math question, you have to take my word for it that the answer is 2 to the 12th power, but it's actually not. It's The actual answer is 8 to the 4th power. And so now you're kind of confused. And so a lot of times what we do is we just throw up our hands and we're not really sure what to, to believe. And sometimes we take that approach with theology as well. A lot of times when we go to the Bible for answers, we're not really going to the Bible to understand. We're looking for Bible verses to back up what we've already decided we want to believe. Back in 2020, if you're alive in 2020, if you remember 2020, it was a very politically contentious election between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And it affected churches as well. And I remember the church I was serving in at the time, we lost several members to a church up the road that had gotten very, very political. And the reason these church members left, they told me is, we want a pastor that's not afraid to tell us how to vote politically and tell us where to find it in scripture. And that church up the road did. They took very strong political stances that lined up with these people, these church members. Now, what I wanted to say was, let's, let's look at how Jesus engaged with politics and use that as our example. And, and this other church was not doing that. They were stringing together halves of this verse and half of that verse from this testament and that testament. And in the end, what this family was looking for is they weren't necessarily looking for what, how Jesus engaged politically. They wanted a Bible verse to back up what they already decided they wanted to believe, and they were looking for a pastor that backed that up, and because that person was the pastor, well then, hey, that just validates everything what they believe. They were looking for the answers. They weren't learning how to solve the problem. So a lot of times when we search for answers, we're not really searching for answers. We're searching for people that validate what we've already decided we want to believe, whether it's the real answer or not. And so what this podcast is going to try to do is going to try to teach you not just what the answer is, but teach you how to solve the problem. Going back to that math equation one more time, the actual answer is 2 to the 12th power. It's not 8 to the 4th power. But I've just changed the answer three different times, and you're not really sure what to believe. The only way that you can know for sure is to learn how to solve this problem yourself. Now, just like this is not a marriage podcast, this is not a math podcast, so I'm not going to teach you how to solve that math equation. What I am going to try to teach you, what we're going to try to teach you from Scripture is not only why the church is broken, but how to fix it from the pages of the New Testament in Scripture. So we're going to try to teach you, not just, we're not going to try to tell you what the answer is. We're going to try to teach you how to solve the problem yourself. The second way this podcast aims to be different is that we're going to give you a chance to interact and respond Today's sermons in today's churches are designed to be one-directional. A person gets up on stage, they have the microphone, they speak for 30 minutes or 40 minutes or 50 minutes, and then they get off the stage and no one really questions them. What they say goes. Well, this is designed, this moment right here is designed to be one-directional because you're listening or watching to this right now. But at the end of each of our episodes of the Jesus Family Podcast, we're going to have discussion questions. We're actually going to give you a chance to interact with 
uh, what we're talking about, the teaching content that we're going to have. And then that's going to happen once a month. So this is a teaching episode where I actually do one teaching episode a month. The second episode is going to be an interview episode where we're going to talk with folks who are engaging with uh, the Jesus family on the street level. And the third episode is actually going to be JT leading a discussion where he's we're talking about this teaching episode. He's pushing back. He's asking questions. And we're bringing in some of the questions that you've asked over the past two weeks as you've listened to and watched and engaged with this teaching question, with this teaching episode so that you can ask your questions about, hey, you said this, but what about this? Or, you know, what about this Bible verse? So I've always heard this. What do you think about this? So you are going to get a chance to engage directly with this teaching, and then we're going to talk about it in real time and respond to you. So we want to try to make this a communal learning experience rather than just you hearing from a couple of people, again, telling you what the answers are. We have enough of that out there. We want to hear from you, and we want to engage with you as you respond to us. The third way that this podcast, and really the Jesus family, aims to be different, as crassly as I can put it, I don't want your money, we're not trying to build any buildings, and we're not concerned with the size of the audience or the following that we're trying to build. I know a lot of times when you go to churches, pastors are up there teaching and preaching, and they're called to preach and teach the Word of God, but they also need to preach and teach in a way that keeps them employed and pays for the building. And in a perfect world, all that stuff lines up together. Well, JT and I made it a lot simpler. We have full-time jobs outside of church work. And so we're doing this as a passion, as a hobby. We're doing this on the side, and our income is not directly impacted on whether or not people are happy with what we're teaching about. So there is a freedom there for us to not feel like we have to teach what people want to hear. We feel like we can teach what we believe Scripture is. And so this, this podcast is just our attempt to try to make the case of how we got to the place where we are and see if that case is strong enough to convince you as well. So let me just put it as bluntly as possible. We don't want your money. We don't want you to send it to us. We don't want the hassle. We don't want the oversight. If you are generous, and we do want you to be generous, we ask that you be generous in and among your local Jesus family as you give to and help and serve those who are needy and the poor in your community. We're not trying to be pay for any buildings. We're not going to build any buildings. This is all going to be online and then in groups in homes. So there's no overhead for staff. There's no overhead for buildings. So we're not trying to make any money off of this. So we don't have a financial investment in this. So I just want you to know that on the front end. And when it comes to the following, the decision that we made and the piece that we made really early on is that we're not trying to build a movement. We're not trying to get up to a thousand subscribers or, you know, get a hundred Jesus families going. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. Our responsibility is just to get this out there, to teach it in the best way that we know how, and to encourage you as much as possible. And whether this thing takes off or whether it just fizzles out and dies, that's up to the Holy Spirit. Our job is just to get the message out there, and that's what we want to be faithful to do. So we hope that this podcast is different. Because we're going to try to help you teach. We're going to try to teach you how to solve the problem. And we're not trying to make any money off of this. And we're going to give you a chance to respond in real time. And we're going to interact with that and allow you to, to push back on us and to question and to have those questions answered by us. And so I hope that this podcast is really just a journey. 
it's an invitation to go on the journey that we've been on, that I've been on. It's a journey that's changed me. It's changed the way that I see the world. It's definitely changed the way that I've seen the church and how I see the church. And most importantly, it's changed the way that I see the future for those who want to follow Jesus, whether or not they've lost faith in the church. And it's, a, it's an ancient way. It's a way that's so ancient, it's actually new. It's a way that comes directly out of Acts chapter 2, as we'll be talking about in the weeks and the months and the years to come. And it's a way that's changed my life. And it's a way that I believe can change your life and it can change your world. Now, if you've been watching behind me, it's been really foggy this morning when I'm recording this and very slowly the fog has begun to lift. And my hope that if you feel like the church or maybe your relationship with Jesus, if you've been burned and broken by the church and you haven't been in church for years, maybe you feel like you've been in this fog. You know something's broken, but you don't know what it is and you don't know how to fix it. My hope and prayer is that, you, is that as you go on this journey with us and the Jesus family, that the fog begins to lift and you can begin to see clearly not just the brokenness of today's church, but more importantly, the solution the way forward, the future for your faith and for your church and for those that you love. So that's episode one. Thank you for watching or listening. See you back next week for episode two. Thanks. Thanks.